you know, as when I heard that I would have to preach, I get excited, <laughs> believe it or not, because I love, I want to stand up here and just talk to you all. I want to tell you what I think the Lord has told me. And then I remember that in this exact spot, my mind goes completely blank. So I can't stand here and just talk to you. I had to write it. So it's all written down. So um, bear with me, as it were, as I read you this sermon today. But before we do, let's, um, let's go to the Lord and pray, okay? Our Father, we have come this morning to sit under your word. So we pray with the people, your people of old, who have always prayed, Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. Do that for the glory of Jesus. Amen. I remember when I was seven, it was a hard year for my family. I lived in a neighborhood with lots of families and children. It was a place where you could ride your bike, roam the fields, play in the creeks, play ball in the open lot, and even walk to your grandparents' home, all only if you were home by the time the lights came on. There were older boys who played together, had the newest bikes, built the forts, made up the teams, made up the rules, and then there were the others, us, who just watched from the outside, longing to be picked for the team, accepted into the gang, wanting just to hang out. In the summer of this year, I overheard them talking intently about catching the rabbits in the fields. They were all excited at the prospects of the hunt, the trap, the prize. It was an electric atmosphere as they plotted and anticipated their next great adventure. I remember sitting in my grandfather's upholstery shop. I remember the rhythm of that sewing machine, the smell of lacquer, sawdust hanging in the air, Pop-Pop's hum as he went about restoring chairs and sofas. My great delight was when he asked me to make buttons for those sofas. He would pay me a penny a button. Pop, pop. The words just erupted out of my mouth. Could you make me a rabbit trap? To this day, I cannot remember how that conversation went, but I clearly remember the next time I visited his shop. He took me over to his workbench and he showed me the rabbit trap he made from his leftover lumber. My eyes went bugging out of my head as he turned it around to show me the trigger mechanism and the gate that would close the trap door once the rabbit was safely inside. He showed me the dish and explained what food would entice rabbits. He then picked up the trap and handed it to me, smiling. I was a little boy, and my grandfather was a giant. I don't think my feet touched the ground all the way home. On that day, the guys were around their usual tree. 
I strode up to them, my confident stride met with puzzled looks. It's a rabbit trap, I declared, and it's for you. As I handed this treasure over to the leader of the group, there was a moment of surprise, a smile, a flicker of acceptance, just a flicker. I do not remember those boys' names or faces, but I do remember sometime later when my grandfather asked me how the trap was working. I don't know, I lied. I lost it. The hunger to be accepted in community, to be loved, is a part of the image of God in all of us, but oh, how we have broken it. It wasn't supposed to be like this. We were created in the image of the Trinity, made to experience the fellowship and the union of that divine love, to abod and shamar, to work and keep all of creation out of that love. But we bought the lie from the father of lies, God is keeping better things from you. He doesn't trust you. His heart is not for you. He doesn't really love you. And so we now live among a people terribly confused and manipulated about their souls and their creator. We live among a people who have forgotten their names. We live amidst a kingdom built upon the bondage of whispered lies that God does not care, God does not love, God does not exist. What was once our bond has now become our bondage. What was once our birthright to live in the presence of God, we now spend our lives searching for. How much of our living is drawn out of our hunger to be loved? What we say, how we say it who we say it to, our friendships, our communities, the efforts of our lives, all steering us to that place of affirmation and acceptance. All of us have felt the pull of that hunger. We have watched it in our children. But what if? What if today Christ brings us to a new and better place? What would our lives look like? What would the church look like if we did not so much hunger to be loved, but hungered to love? Come, let our Lord speak to us from the text, which is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Uh, some are shaking their head. It must be up there. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Over this verse in my Bible, I have written the words, The church begins. Jesus had laid aside his outer garments, picked up a basin of water, and knelt to the ground. Picking up his disciples' feet, he washed them, making sure that the dirt was washed fully away. He took a towel and made sure to dry each foot, each foot of each disciple. And so he loved his disciples. And then he sat down with them, 
dipped some bread into an oil, and looked into the eyes of Judas. Scripture says that Satan had entered into the heart of Judas. If our eyes are a window into our souls, then as he held Judas's gaze, what did Jesus see? Did he see that moment in the garden when love was betrayed? Did the anguish of that rejection come flooding into Jesus' senses? Jesus' whole earthly life, the incarnation, the humiliation, the crucifixion, was all to come from that first betrayal, from love rejected. And there it was, being held in his gaze. This was the upper room. These were his, the last moments with his disciples. He would leave them. He would watch them walk out into the kingdom of the liar, into fear and pain, with uncertainty and doubt. He would entrust to them the gospel, the keys of his father's sacred kingdom. They would be the ones to testify of the inexplicable mysteries of Bethlehem and Calvary and Gethsemane. So when he could have said anything, he said, love one another. In a world so oppressed by the kingdom of darkness, this would be the church's declaration of independence. No longer would this kingdom hold people in its bondage. No longer would the tyranny of the lie rule the land. What has been known from the beginning, what is eternally true, what is freedom, is that God is love. And you, my people, you will hold this treasure and you will manifest this treasure. And as you do, I will be lifted up. In your love for one another, the world will see me. And in me is the glory and the love of my Father. I, the Lord, set the prisoner free, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. This is the declaration that unites the church. This is us. So come. Let us worship as these words of Christ fall upon us. Let this yoke of the gentle and lowly one settle upon our hearts. Let's start with the words, a new command I give to you. A lot has been written about the word new. Certainly, Jesus would not add one jot, something new, to the law of God. So it does not describe something that did not exist. But the word new does modify, is the way it, was to it does modify is the way it was to manifest in this world. Something that had never been seen before. Never before had God set his glory aside and enfleshed himself in humanity to draw his people in. He would touch, heal, rebuke, obey, weep, suffer, embrace, listen, hunger, laugh, and die so that his people might believe, see his Father, and live. Jesus would call it, as I love. I think, perhaps, this is the new in the new commandment. And immediately following the word new, Jesus uses the word command. 
having known that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was returning to God, he had no doubt, not only as to his authority to command, but that this command was equal in every way to the law. It is often referred to as the 11th commandment. But were the disciples ready to receive a command? Are we? Ah, guidelines. Now we can work with guidelines. Good advice and good principles, they are always welcome. But being commanded, something from deep within reacts. Maybe it's a slight bristle. Or maybe it's a slight yawn. Whatever the reaction, out of it we are called to ask ourselves questions. The commands of God, this will sound strange, the commands of God always call us to ask questions. Does my reaction to this command testify that Jesus is my Lord? Does it, does it testify that he is Lord? Does my reaction testify that I am the authority in my life? Does my reaction testify that I have been crucified with Christ? Does my reaction testify that I live by faith? To move out of that upper room, one has to answer those questions. That you love one another just as I have loved you. I remember hearing a sermon on humility. It was a good sermon preached with passion, but in reflecting on it, I realized the preacher had never defined humility. We tend to do that. We tend to take words for granted. Love is no exception. We use the word so much that it has come to mean, well, whatever we want it to mean. Hint. Searching on the line for a definition takes you into a whole nother universe. Generally, we tend to identify it through our emotions, through how we feel. That is, I will know love when I feel it. The Oxford Dictionary affirms this as it defines love as an intense feeling of deep affection. So perhaps we should let the word of God define God's word. I'm going to read to you from what the Spirit has written. And as I do, listen for this love. From John 3, For God so loved the world that he gave us his Son, that whosoever believes in him might have eternal life. From 1 John, In this is love, not that we loved God, but he, that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. From 2 Corinthians, the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And for Father's Day, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and 
gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Did you hear it? That steady rhythm, those steady themes from his heart? Giving up to draw in. In love, God gave, God sent, Christ gave, Christ died. The love of Christ is giving up. In love, eternal life, a new creation, a propitiation to sanctify the love of Christ is to draw in. Giving up to draw in. It's the warp and the weft of Christ's love. It's not phileo or storge or agape or eros love. It's not a love defined by this world. Born of God and incarnated in Christ, we simply call it as I love. Right here. It must be recognized who can preach this sermon. Who can begin to touch this love in any time allotted? When I was preparing this sermon, I turned to Phoebe and I said, if we had the whole summer to preach this one verse, it would not be enough. As I love is giving up. Conceived before time, inhabiting the glory of God, it was born in betrayal and loss. It was born in the tears of God as he cast his children from his presence. It had its forms and types, and then, as one writer put it, love came down and walked among us. It was enfleshed in Christ. As I love is the giving up of a son, of an intimacy, the giving up of glory, the giving up of adoration, of dignity, of power, of will, of equality. It is the infinite being clothed with the finite, the enrobing of humility, of servanthood, of suffering, of separation, of being made sin, of being made a curse. Giving up is born of that immeasurable exchange. The king's life for mine. And Jesus looked at us and he said, so love your fellow believers. As I love is to draw in the brokenness the separation, the hostility, the division, the enmity, the bondage, it has all flowed from that whispered lie, that lie. Such a darkness. Has it ever taken so many forms? Has it ever permeated so deeply into our lives? If ever there were a command, if ever a love, it would be for such a time as this. As I love, listen to this from God's word. As I love destroys the work of the devil. It frees us from fear. It breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. It sets the prisoner free. It binds us in hope. It reconciles. It forgives and restores. It bestows life. It brings the orphan ho home. 
It sanctifies with ever-increasing splendor. It, it breaks the bonds of death. It secures faith and ushers us into the presence of God. As I love quenches our thirsts and satisfies that ancient hunger of our souls. And Jesus looked at us and said, so love your fellow believers. And then he said something remarkable. By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, it's funny. Well, not funny. I've been to many mission conferences, listened to many missions committees, been questions on creating a mission statement, questioned on being more mission-minded, and to my recollection, I never remember anyone saying that at the heart of missions is the love of the brethren for each other. Here, in these few words, is the true missional church. When Christ's people love one another with his love, the world will see Jesus. He gave us his word. What more could we want? What could possibly be a brighter light in this fractured world than beholding Jesus? Listen as Christ prays, Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, so that they may become perfectly one, so that the world will know that you have sent me. In Colossians, Paul would say, Amen. Christ in us, the hope of glory. One of the greatest delights of Christ's life was that he could say to the people around him, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I would think then that one of the greatest delights of his children would be to say, if you have seen me, you have seen Jesus. And with this command, Jesus sent his disciples into the kingdom of darkness. So where do we go from here? It is to the poverty of this church when we respond to Jesus as if he was giving us good advice. In doing so, we are declaring that Jesus is our helper. Right after I found out that I was to preach, this is the way it always goes. I was with some families, and one of our brothers turned to me and said, when we first came to the church, for the longest time, I didn't think you liked me. So much for giving up to draw in. He couldn't even detect a like. That has been one of the most challenging things said to me in a long time. It was, as it were, a hurt, but 
a good hurt, a purifying hurt, a challenge that has led me deeper into Christ's love, into examining my heart and my will. How much of life that I live is lived in the crucified form? Where do my actions and reactions arise out of? Where are my words and responses drawn from? Out of the wells of my will? Out of those broken cisterns? Or from Christ in me, the well of my salvation? The wonder of Christ's call is that our Savior is calling us to draw from what we already have the everything of Christ himself. God's word calls calls it the immeasurable greatness of his power, the immeasurable riches of his grace, which have been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us without measure. In my union with Christ, the only thing standing in the way of my loving you as Christ loved me is me. It is not how you vote or what you think of vaccines, nor even what you post. It's not your nationality or skin color or accent. Get this. It is not even your sin that stands in the way of my loving you. It is my will. It is my will that I will not let die. In that brother's statement, I knew I had robbed Jesus of his glory. And that has been to the poverty of this church, this body of Christ. One of the greatest victories of Christ's love is that through his shed blood, the dividing wall of hostility between man and God is destroyed so that we might walk with him one more time in the cool of the garden. And in doing so, he broke down our dividing walls. Scripture says there is now neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul pressed on to make sure we understood that in the presence of our Lord's shed blood, nothing in this world can separate his people from each other. Remember that prayer of Jesus? I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. That is mission. And in these days when the lie enters every town, every street, every home, God's people, through the blood of his eternal covenant, stand side by side, and we declare, this will not stand. Today, I will bow my soul to my Savior, all of my soul, and I will love you 
as he loved me. I will bind myself to this community because through us, people will see Jesus and the kingdom of God will come. So how do we begin? One of the harder parts of love is not how do I love, but it's wanting to love in the first place. Dying to ourselves so others might live does not come naturally. That is, that it, that's it. That is the place where we begin, with him, or, or more to the point, in him, or more to the point, in him, in us. This loving begins with being loved. New life in Christ is not a doctrine. It is not a tradition. It is not a liturgy. It is a union. Christ in us. But God, being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even we were, when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. Abide in me is a call to love out of him, out of his fullness in us. In union with Christ, when we abide there, our wills, our hearts, as it were, die. And his heart starts to beat. His hunger replaces our hunger. And we, we hunger to love. What does this love look like? Well, that's the beauty of this body. We all manifest this love differently. We all have unique personalities. We have our own personal stories, our own personal conversions, all to become unique bearers of this as I love. Some are hands, some are eyes, some are feet. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Many of you remember Doug White. I miss him. But I'm sure that as he is now surrounded by that great company of the saints, He's in the middle of some grand argument. He was on the setup crew. And one Sunday, drenched with sweat, he asked me if I was happy in serving the church. I told him of my joy, and then I turned and asked him, Doug, do you like doing setup? I hate it, he said. But I do it so I can get to know the people in the church. Doug did not have a servant's heart. But I know the servant's heart was in Doug. And right there, drenched in sweat, I saw Jesus. I see Jesus a lot in this church. People of God, the presence and the power and the passions of his his love are in us. And as we abide in him, 
I will look at you, and you will look at me, and we will see Jesus. That's the point. Which brings us to an often overlooked question in this command. He said, to love one another as I have loved you. So why them? I mean, why did Jesus love those disciples? None of them were furniture men like him. It doesn't seem that any of them started out as his friends. They came from such different places in life. They clearly had their flaws, their ambitions, their arguments, their differences, and their faith. Well, it was muddled a lot of the time. I think Jesus best answers this question in his prayer to his Father. Father, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me for they are yours. Seven times in that prayer alone, he would repeat the phrase, those whom you have given me. His people were given to him by his father. They were bound to him by an eternal covenant. In these words, we glimpse our covenantal God, and we comprehend a little more the wonder of Christ's willingness to bind himself to them, to enter their world, to draw them to himself, to love them. He would love them because he loved the Father. And all of his, hum hum and all of his humiliation would be so that on that day, as Scripture says, he will gather them to present them holy and pure to his Father. Christ loved those disciples, the ones his Father gave them, because they brought glory to his Father. That brought glory to his Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Today, we sit among the people of this same covenant. God has given us to each other. And as we bow down to our Lord, we bind ourselves to one another in this covenant of love. And out of that oneness, a hymn of praise arises and joins the great chorus. So as one we all sing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and blessing and glory. This is our song. This is why we love one another. So we should end this sermon in the context of the passage. Having just commanded this love, Jesus turns to Peter and he says, The rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Peter would take all those years of divine love, the fellowship of Jesus, and he would trash it. Beloved, we fall down. For whatever reasons, we fall down. As the words of Christ rest upon us, perhaps now 
we begin to list the ways, the reasons we don't embrace this command. We are tired. We are hurt. We are afraid. Our expectations are unmet. We are offended. I can't. I'm broken. I'm so busy. Or maybe, maybe it's because church has just become just a place to attend. We all fall down. He knows we are of flesh. Today, if any of this describes you, go away. Open your Bible and go away. Go to that quiet place where you and Christ dwell, where you talk to him, where you hear him, a place where you can look into his eyes and tell him everything, all of it. There may be a fire going and a meal set for you. And our meek and lowly shepherd, he will hold your gaze. And he will ask you a question. I know he will. He asked Peter the question. You know the question. So let us open our hearts, let us open our wills, and listen as Jesus asks, Do you love me? May our hearts be humbled, and may our souls be restored, so that from him and through him and to him, we will hunger to love one another as he has loved us. To God be the glory. Let's pray. As these words of Jesus wash over us, oh, beloved Father, restore our souls. Transform us with ever-increasing splendor into the image of our Jesus so that we can pray once again, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in us. For the glory of your name, and through Jesus our Lord we pray. Amen.